Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face, our uh, most recent podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, goodness and social change and how to make a difference and how to get people 
acting over just thinking about doing things that are good. Our guest today is uh, Phil Hade, and he is the uh, founder and CEO of Public. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Tell me a little bit about Public. What, what, what do you guys do? And, you know, let's provide a little bit of context here because uh, nobody knows who the hell you are. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and go from there. Great. Uh, so Public is, you know, we like to say sort of sits at the intersection of profit and purpose. We uh, started the company five years ago uh, and we're really designed around trying to create social impact through this idea, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, around how do you merge profit and purpose. Uh, and what we essentially do is we create all kinds of what we like to think are innovative fundraising, advocacy, volunteer engagement campaigns and programs. And we have sort of two sides of the house. We have the consultancy agency side where we literally from, from coming up with the idea to you know, obviously creating the idea and putting it into the world. Uh, for companies and for charities. And we do all kinds with you know, brands that you'd recognize like WWF and Starbucks and RBC and Canadian Cancer Society and Heart and Stroke and so on. And then on the other side of our business, we're an incubator. So um, very purposefully, we see ourselves as, well, first of all, we're a social purpose business, but we see ourselves as change agents. And so we're interested in thinking about how do we move people to give more, do more good, but in a very different way than I think um, the tr is the sort of traditional way of thinking about it, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So we have, on the incubator side of our business, we have a whole bunch of projects, some that are on a whiteboard, some that are actually in the world, where there's no client, there is just um, ideas where we are the authors of those ideas, and we put them out in the world to see if we can create social impact around them. So we have a crowdfunding platform called The Power of Two, it's about leveraging celebrities and their fans to, to create, to raise money for the causes that they're most passionate about. We're working on a really exciting initiative with Dr. Mike Evans, uh, who is well known for a video he created called 23 and a half hours, around getting people to walk 30 minutes a day. And we're actually creating the activation, the social business around that. We're working on a uh, social good mortgage idea. Uh, and, um, we're working on a whole mobile platform. So we have a bunch of our own ideas that are, there's no, as I say, no clients. They're things that we want to do and put in the world. So who pays for all this stuff? Well, at the moment, we pay for it, <laughs> which is... Because, uh, I mean, you're, you know, RBC, Starbucks, sure. you get it. You've got, you've sure. got corporate clients, so you've got a budget and so on. But these ideas, these whiteboard ideas, which are fascinating to me, um, are initiatives that are, I guess, generated from within. Right. Your idea, yeah. somebody walks in, read an article the night before, hey, we got to get involved in this. Yeah. Is that kind of yeah, what it's, it's, ideas to, come to, to date, I'd say it's been mostly things that have been sort of stewing in, in, in mine and, and Paul, uh, my co-founder and, and business partner, and Liam, the other partner's head, but and increasingly our staff as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, who pays for them is the great question. At the moment, <laughs> uh, what we do is we essentially take the profit from the agency side of the business and we've been paying for it. So power of two, this crowdfunding. So it's yep. basically who's, you know, it's head-to-head -head kind of competition in a fun way. Uh, we, we built the platform. We paid for it. Uh, we continue to do it. And actually, we have one coming out. We just finished one with two uh, Major League Baseball players, uh, one from the Yankees and one from the, uh, from the Red Sox. Uh, our next one is actually around Thanksgiving. Mm. So we're going to see who's, who's the more giving city, Toronto or Vancouver? Well, okay. All this is the power of two. This is the power of two that's What's coming it? up. Um, when you guys launched that, uh, I seem to remember Rick Campanelli. Yeah, we did Camp Rick Campanelli and Cheryl Hickey of ET. Of ET, right. And then we subsequently have done uh, Emmanuel Shriki, who was on a show called Entourage against Lance Bass of the boy band InSync. 
And we, basically, it's who can raise more money than the yeah, other. Yeah, it's, it's to see who fun. can raise. Exactly. Yeah. It's a fun head-to-head competition over two weeks' time. Sort of one week off, one week. Yeah. And so, you know, it's still in beta form, but yeah. we've, you know, we've raised over $100,000 to date on the platform. It's all through social media. Yeah, it's neat. Um, but, you know, so we have paid for that. The uh, development of this whole mortgage idea, we're paying for. We've got an amazing uh, woman working with us who's an investment banker who is now working with us exclusively. Wow. Uh, on really vetting that idea. The 23 and a half hours, all of the time we've put into it is hours. We are actually in conversation with companies and federal government to seed fund it. So we go look for seed funding, mm-hmm. but we're big believers that you, know, you have to put sweat equity and we want to get things going. So we use our own dollars to do it, prove it, put it in the world. As, as Mike Evans has taught me, we, we talk about it public and I'd love to talk to you, David, about this on, in this podcast, but about um, failure. Right. And, and, and failing fast. And I'm a big, big proponent of it. Uh, Mike Evans talks about it as sucking less. So we're big believers. Get things in the world in a beta form. Try them. They'll suck. You know, next time they're going to suck less. And so, uh, but the idea is we get a little bit of traction. We learn. We think that there's actually, we, we test enough to believe that there's an idea here that could actually scale. And then we go, we go seek funding from a variety of sources to actually to go and try to, to build a business. So that's Phil, Phil Hade from uh, Public Inc. That's P-U-B-L-I-C, publicincinc.com. So, I mean, I've known you for a little while, uh, Phil. Mm-hmm. I would call you a change maker. I've heard you call the change maker before. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, you know, social purpose? Uh, we've got the, the triple bottom line. What's motivating you? So, to do this. Yeah, it's a great. Are you going to be, you know, rich beyond your wildest <laughs> dreams one day, or what's? Well, from your from your mouth to God's ears, uh, you know it's interesting, and I say this I say this to every person um, that we meet, and and actually, particularly to staff when we're hiring people, is we are trying to uh, create large scale social impact in the world, and I'll talk to you about the philosophy behind that, and and our belief is that if we do that in a way where you merge profit and purpose, yes, we'll make lots of money, but it is truly in that order. So it's not I'm not driven by the money i'm driven by the impact and um but you know as a change maker the, the reason I started the company with paul um really was out of this feeling that the the way in which we generally think about giving in my mind is a very it's it's vested in an old way of looking at the world and what i mean by that specifically is that we're still caught in what i'd call a philanthropy model Right? And in the philanthropy model, in the charity model, we ask people to give because it's the right thing to do. We ask people to give because it's a wonderful cause. We ask people to give because you can save lives and save lives and improve rivers and, you know, and address social justice. And all of that is great. And get a tax receipt. And get a tax receipt. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big driver it's of it. It's a big drive for a lot of And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but increasingly what we'd say is there's not all that much right about it either. And here's, hmm. here's, here's the argument. The problem with the sort of the charity philanthropy model in our, in our minds is it doesn't scale. So, you know, you talk about, you know, you look out at the sector and you say, you know, 85,000 charities, if you include nonprofits, about 170,000 in this country, right? And it's 10 times that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We work both in Canada and the U.S., so I like using a U.S. example. If you take all of the giving in the United States on an annual basis, right? it is roughly speaking about $400 billion, which sounds like an enormous amount of money until you put it into perspective, right? It costs, as an example, it costs $500 billion to educate K-12 across the United States for one year. So it's a drop in the ocean. And the problem that we have with the current model 
And it's good in the sense that it's very pure, but it's the purity that's holding back the scale. And so right now, if you look at it, what do for-profits do? For-profit companies make their money on the one side and then they give back to community on the other, right? And the pocket of money that they have for community is, is as a, on a relative basis to the money they make is tiny. It's very tiny. Right, yeah. it's tiny. Usually. Usually. Yeah, I mean, I for the most part, there's some really magnanimous well, well, philanthropists who are giving away millions. Sure, you know, on their own high percentages, like a, a Warren uh, Buffett. Warren Buffett, exactly this kind of thing. But but yeah, I would I would agree. And so tar- you know, Target is held up. They give five percent, right? And it's great, but it's still a tiny yeah. percentage. Um, so they make their money on one side, and and the philanthropic side is com- basically kept by and large separate. You know, with cause marketing, you're starting to see a little bit of integration, but by and large, most cause marketing efforts to date are still philanthropy with marketing wrapped around them. So whether you buy that product or not, right, whether you take the action they want you to do, they're going to cut the check anyhow. Uh, nonprofits, I would argue, charities do the exact same thing. They just do it in reverse. They do their core mission-based work on the one side of the ledger, and then they look for cash on the other, right? And they don't integrate. And individuals, I would argue, who aren't that civically engaged do the exact same thing. I go, I live my life, and then I give a little bit if my friend asks me because he or she is running in the walk, right? Sorry, running in the walk. is running in the, you know, in the, you know, X, X event that happens in June, July, August. Um, so they're kept separate. And our whole, our whole notion, and we're not the only ones talking about this, it's, it's Michael Porter's shared values thesis, is you need to merge profit and purpose. We need to start talking about how does everybody truly win in the equation? How do you actually drive greater, more sales, right? more acquisition for a company? How do you drive their bottom line in a way that's going to create also a lot of social impact? How do, how do uh, charitable organizations raise money in a way that's core to mission? And how do you integrate giving into people's day-to-day life? So, so, is the, so, so to quote one of my uh, favorite in italics writers, is the social responsibility of business to actually create good good? You know, Friedman said it's actually to create profit, right? right? That's the bottom line. Yeah. There is only one bottom line. We're now talking about a triple line. People plan a profit. You can see some of it on your website as right. well. So... Do you think that has to, I mean, when you, you know, so why do I go to school, right? I go, well, I get a degree because I got to get a job and I got a family and so on. So we're talking about some pretty core values, I think, motivating factors and so on. Um, It sounds like we're, I mean, there's a few questions here, I think, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like we're, you know, as far as the the uphill climb that we've got, we're we're down, we're down pretty low on the ground. We are. And I think what we're trying to advocate for, and we try to do it in our work, right, is move from what I'm talking about, that philanthropic charity model, to a, um, what I'd call a social impact model. And so here's the fundamental difference. When your starting point is social impact, what is the impact that I want to create in society, right? Whether that is about getting uh, less people living on the poverty line, whether that's about uh, reducing your carbon footprint, whether that's about addressing a, a social wrong, whatever, it, whatever the issue is. If you start from the perspective of what is the impact that we want to create as an organization, right? If you start there, then it doesn't actually matter if you're a charity or a for-profit company or an individual because you're thinking about, about the impact. So in our estimation, 
if, if when we're talking to companies, what we're actually saying is not getting into this debate, which is a rightful question you're asking about, are you, is your bottom line about just making profit for your shareholders or should you be a good corporate citizen? We're saying actually forget about that debate. The question is, in this day and age, as a company, what kind of impact do you want to make in the world? And can you use a social impact as a way both to differentiate, differentiate yourself in the marketplace and drive your bottom line? Right? Because in our minds, there are so many industries today, particularly on the for-profit side, where there's such a lack of differentiation. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, you hate Talos, Rogers, and Bell. I mean, some people love them as well. Yeah. But there's not a lot of differentiation between the three mm-hmm. major mm-hmm. telcos, right? There's not a lot of differentiation between what water you're going to buy if you're so inclined to buy bottled water instead of mm-hmm. drinking the delicious tap water that we have. There's not a lot of differentiation in the mining industry. There's not a lot of differentiation in the consumer packaged goods, right? So what's going to differentiate in this day and age? And what most companies argue is that they actually try to play to, well, I'm going to get a discounting model, right? How am I going to get more people to buy my products and my services? What's my catchy way to get the attention so that they'll buy my product versus my competitor's product? And what we're continuing to advocate for is we believe that social impact, cause, can be a differentiator. So that if you can start to figure out what, as a, as a good corporate citizen, what you actually want to impact in the world, then what we want to do is help figure out how we can also do them with it drives your bottom line because you'll do more of it, not less of it. Sure. Is cause, do you think cause at this point in, uh, in this day and age is really an add-on? It's a footnote if, if you're lucky. It's not a part of a, a corporation strategy at this point. I mean, some of them maybe are starting to think that way. We're seeing CSR being talked about a lot more. But there's this whole idea of greenwashing as well. Like, well, you know, everyone else is doing it, so we better do something right. that's cause-related. You know what, I, dude, I would say I actually think it is part of their strategies to date. I think that um, being a good corporate citizen, giving back to the community is... Um, table stakes, you have to do it now. I think what's interesting is we're seeing a lot more movement on the sustainability front. Mm. So there's a lot, you know, you look at what Walmart has done on greening its entire enterprise. Uh, the fact that they are the largest seller of organic foods today. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's wild, right? It's, it is wild. And, and when you think of the implications of taking out one fluorescent light bulb every other fixture, yeah. when they do that across the world, what the, the impact, impact is, is significant. Huge. So. so here's what's interesting. So I don't think it's, I do think it is absolutely part of the strategy. What I think is interesting is um, on the sustainability side, I think companies are, I mean, they're there and they're doing more and more and more and they have a long way to go, but they're, they're actually moving in the right direction. What's interesting, though, is they haven't then, the, like the light bulb hasn't gone on as it relates to the community side, which is right. why wouldn't you also think about your impact in community beyond your environment, environmental impact, yep. but think about your social impact and why wouldn't you tie that to your bottom line? So what, what you know, Walmart does from an environmental standpoint actually does drive their bottom line. You know, the hotel industry a number of years ago, you know, moved to this, hey, you know, if you want to reuse your towel, right, right. leave it. Well, they saved a ton of money doing it. But that's, in our minds, that's actually a good thing. Right. So what we're saying is, why wouldn't you apply the exact same thinking and discipline to, as it relates to the social side, and say, rather than thinking about this as philanthropy, rather than just deciding how much of a check you want to write each year, rather than doing that, Build the social impact that you want to create in the world right into your core offering. Because if you do that and you can make money off it, you'll do more of it, not less. Have you read a lot of Marx? You know what? I did an undergrad in political theory. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess, you know, kind of a joke, I suppose. But at the same time, 
you know, there's something here about the whole Friedman-esque-like approach. This, you know, social responsibility is to increase profits. You're talking about community. You're talking about cause. You're talking about, to me, you know, not philanthropy, but a certain type of generosity or a certain type of sharing yeah. that is the antithesis of self-interest, mm-hmm. which seems to be the foundation of, of, of the corporate model, the model in the West, capitalism, Maybe are you are you maybe saying that's not necessarily the case? No, I'm or actually. We need to say, I'm actually arguing that let's we redefine self-interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I what we are trying to propose is when we say why shouldn't everyone profit by doing good? Right. The first question you see on our website is we we strongly believe that if we do not um, drive a individual, a company's, a charity's, a nonprofit's, uh, individuals' uh, self-interest, we'll never go to scale. So we have to play into people's behaviors. We have to play into market force. And what we're saying is there is nothing wrong with being self-interested. But what, we're, what we are saying is you need to align that with social impact. Right. And so what we do today is we say it's unpure, right? It's untoward. It's dirty if I profit from my philanthropy. And the reason for that is that the hangover is that philanthropy is supposed to be pure. This is about the love of humankind. It's about charity. It's about giving back. And what we're saying is that's all well and good, but it doesn't actually add up. It doesn't scale to the level we need to solve the problems in society. So if we're really serious about solving problems from a local community level all the way up to an international level, then we need to move away from philanthropy and we need to move to social impact. And the only way you can have social impact is if you actually drive people's bottom lines, which means their own self-interest, which is what profit's about. Is there something here, I mean, I'm sure there is a connection between this whole idea. I haven't really asked you the question of, you know, the nonprofits. I know you've worked with quite a few nonprofits yep. over the years and so on. But, you know, donor fatigue, compassion fatigue. Well, you know, I did give it the office, that cliche. Yep. Or, you know, the Dollar Children's Wish Foundation on the way out of the Walmart checkup or, or checkout. And no, no thanks. Mm-hmm. What you can't, like, I, I'm, I, I personally, and I'm not boasting, I always give mm-hmm. if I believe in the organization. Mm-hmm. It, for me, it's a reminder. It's a buck. Right. You know, it's a right. buck. It's a reminder to me that. I'm in a bit more of a privileged position than most, and right. so I'm going to at least, plus we obviously give back as a family, etc. I'm always a little annoyed when I when I hear those three people in front of me or behind me say no. Right. I'm like, so, come on there, big guy. It's a buck. Right. But here's you know the thing. I mean? I'm glad you raised that yeah. because um, we actually have a whole thesis around the at cash moment. In fact, have tested the that. The at cash moment. Yeah, we call it the That's at cash hysterical. moment. hysterical. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, first, you get the first hot off the presses on your podcast. We are going to be doing this fall a reverse RFP around it. So let, nice. me, let me explain that in two seconds. Um, here's the thing about that moment. Um, it is a great time to ask people for money because your wallet is out, right? But in our thesis, this whole notion of profit and purpose and driving the self-interest of people in order to create greater social impact and scale, um, the way in which the, that act cash, would you like to add a dollar to your bill, is conceived today is all wrong. And here's what's wrong about it. Um, it's wrong from a business standpoint and it's wrong from a human behavior standpoint. So let me tackle both. From a business standpoint, um, you know, asking people to give a dollar of cash does nothing to get people into your store. It does nothing to increase the size of your purchase, and it does nothing to actually improve, in most cases, I would argue, the morale of your employees because the people at the cash who are asking are being rejected all day long, right? Even though they raise a lot of money. Well, I, I got into right? a chat with somebody at uh, the liquor store recently, and yeah. she said, well, yeah, it's only for a couple more days. Exactly. <laughs> tired of asking. Well, sure, you tired, ask all day long. Exactly. Yeah. And, and 
your, your customer's last taste in their mouth when they leave your store, good. by and large, is it's actually good. a bad one. It's good. Right? Yeah. And I, yeah. in most cases, because you're, you're the exception, not the rule, uh, because you're highly civically engaged in the work that you do in the yeah. world, is people don't even remember who the charity was when they left. It's, yeah, yeah, right? truth. Yeah, so, truth so that's, from a business standpoint, does nothing to drive my business. So it's actually just a cost, and it's about me looking like a good, community, uh, good citizen. But it's actually having a negative impact on my business. Now, the, the, so, so from where we sit, we think, well, that's problematic. So now, think about it, and let's flip it in terms of thinking about it from a social impact standpoint. If the company said, we care deeply about hunger, right? And we recognize that hunger is an extremely complex issue. But, you know, if we're raising $2 million from our cash program, what if we could make that $10 million? What could we do with $10 million on the issue of hunger? Because that's the interesting conversation to have. So then, how are you going to make the cash program increase? And so our whole hypothesis around this is, and we did test it with Winners in HomeSense, is you have to take the burden off the person, the sales associate, right, who's asking all day long. And the human behavior that's being driven with the current cash programs is, I'm going to ask you like to give, and in most cases, the person will say yes because they don't want to feel like a heel for saying no, right? You feel guilty. Because how can I say to no to kids with autism when right. I'm sitting at Toys right. R Us and I've, my, I've just right. bought my kid a $50 piece of Lego? <laughs> this right? is what always blows me away is the juxtaposition of it. You know, the, the guilt you would think at least would increase the ad cash sales. Right. You know, as you call them, just because I just dropped 50 bucks on a piece of crummy plastic. Right. And I can't afford a right. book for it, kids with autism. Exactly. Like, just, exactly. How, how do you reconcile with that? This is it. So what's happened on ad cash programs? is when they were new and novel, right? They did, they worked like gangbusters. Right, right. But when I go to the toy store, the liquor store, the food store, and at every single place I'm being asked, all of a sudden I have license to say no, right? And I, now I start to get a little resentful that I'm being asked all the time, and you know what? I give to the United Way campaign, and I give to my friends yeah. who are in the walk, and I give, if I'm very proactive, I sit down with my family and figure out where I'm going to give this year. Mm -hmm. So how dare you ask me, mm -hmm. right? That's the mindset oh, a lot sure of people have, sure right? Yeah. And so behaviorally, what we're doing is we're saying to people, you should give because you don't want to look like a heel, right? And you feel guilty, which is the wrong behavior to tread. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with flipping the model is to say, no, you gotta, you gotta, sh you got to shift it. What's in it for me? Right? How do I actually get behaviorally the, the person waiting in line to ask the sales associate, what is, what's this promotion all about? And how can I win that thing? Or how can I get that opportunity? So we once pitched Walmart this idea where we said, imagine if you come up, um, you're at Walmart, and you come up to the cash, and above, above the cash register, above the, where the sales associate, is a big banner. Right? And I've already been primed because I've read it in a flyer. I've, I've been introduced by the greeter at the store. I've seen some promotion around it. And I, and I see it in the aisles as well on the end cap. And I come to the sale to, to ready to pay. And it says, you know, something better than I'm going to write. But it says, you know, um, help a child in need and you can get your kid in the box. Right? And the promotion is, if you contribute to this program, not only will you have a chance to win all kinds of discounts on your next purchase, which you get a perforated on your, you know, your, your pin-up that you put up, right? Yeah, sure. yeah. And, you could, and you basically get it and you can bring it back into store. So here's the business benefit and find out next in store. But you can win a chance to get your child written into the next Xbox game. Right? So I create an experience I couldn't otherwise buy. There's real value exchange, plus I can win discounts on my purchases, which I have to do by going online and then also coming back into the store to see if I can validate mm -hmm. and win. Right? 
So from a business perspective, if I can take the pressure off the sales associate, if I can get people back into my store, and if I can also create promotions where I can get them buying more things, but attached to that is actually also money going to sure. the issue, yeah. right? It's a win all the way around. Yeah. But yeah. We, don't, we don't behave that way because we're supposed to keep this stuff pure. Right. And right. so this is part of the problem, you know, you, you mentioned about donor fatigue, is part of the problem that we have, that we observe at least in the sector, is there's a lack of risk taking. And as a result of a lack of risk taking, we see the same old, same old programs over and over and over again. I want to upset my donor base. Right. You know, right. They're, they're, they're a 50 to 62 year old demographic. We can't try something like that. That's way too young. Exactly. They have email, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I've given a presentation at this AFP conference and I did it in, in Chicago at the Cause Marketing Forum and it's called The Race to Be Third. Why, <laughs> why causes, why basically charities and nonprofits want to be third? And, and it's because I have been in way too many meetings where we're pitching a new idea. And you can see the excitement on the face of the people in the room. And then the inevitable question comes up. So have you done this before? And the first time I got asked that or question. What's, what's the ROI? Is that another? To get that well, you get that question as well. And that's a fair question, yeah. right? But have you ever done this before is usually the first question. And naively, when we started public, I remember the first time I did this, obviously I won't name names, but I'm in a room and I'm pitching this idea and I'm all excited. And the person asked me, uh, so have you done this before? Where, like, when have you done this? And I naively said, no, we haven't. You'll be the first. Isn't that great? And all, you could literally, it was yeah. like that, wah, yeah, wah, yeah, wah. Yeah. And all the air got sucked out of the room. Um, and so there's a complete fear of trying things. Why? Because if they don't work, that's seen as failure. So I, you know, my hobby horse, and I talk a lot about it, is the, one of the biggest problems about why I think, it's not the sole, sole focus of it, but one of the big reasons for the, lack, for the fatigue in the sector around giving is because there's a lack of creativity and innovation about how we engage people in giving, partly tied to the fact that it's not reciprocal and partly tied to the fact that we're doing the same old, same old. Right. right? And so we're afraid to fail. And in our world, where we sit at public, we embrace failure. Right? You think about it. Science is based on failure. Mm -hmm. Scientific inquiry is all yeah, about... Well, failure and discovery, and you can't discover without taking risks and chances and so on. So it's, it's a, kind of a no-brainer. You have to, yeah, right? You, you have a hypothesis, you try something, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's science. Then you look at uh, venture capital. Right? You think about the whole world of venture capital. It's based on failure. So why is it that in the social space, Right? in the social enterprise space where people are doing incredible things to improve people's lives, we're so afraid to fail. Do you think that is just the social enterprise space? I think that might have something to do with being human to some degree. At the risk of sounding like I'm absolving the world of responsibility, right. it does sound like, you know, for me it's about choice, it's, it's freedom, it's, this is about you, this is intentionality. Choose to do this, follow through, and then you know, make sense of it. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, though, uh, you know, if there's uh, maybe a little more cynical that there's this. I like things the way they are. There's you know, no question. You know, there's a there's a there's a um, there's a status quo. There's a I'm satisfied with mediocrity because it pays the bills. Yeah. And my kids are provided for, and I have a decent life. Yeah. You know, I've there's got no, Netflix, and there's no question. There's no question that that is, there's a human element of human behavior here, which says. Right, that I'm not, you know, and it, it look at different profiles, different personas of people, and that's the, what you're saying is bang on. But I also think culturally, there are certain sectors and mm -hmm. certain industries yeah. where 
the culture of failure has been more embraced, right? right? So in Silicon Valley, you know, you wear it, that language. you wear it with a badge of honor, right? right? right. I think there would be a, you wouldn't find one scientist who wouldn't be suspicious well, if if you said I, you know, I had this idea and I tested it and it worked on the first try. No one would believe you, right? But we're expecting the same. But yet in the sort of social impact cause mm-hmm. sector. People are failing every single day. We're just not talking about it. Yeah, right. and, we, and what we're suggesting is we need to flip it again and yeah. say embrace it because failure isn't failure. Failure is testing ideas to improve them to make it better the next time. We just, uh, uh, so change, just finished writing a report to the Ontario Trillium Foundation of a pretty cool campaign. We've been working on malaria-related mosquitoes suck fun and so on. And as we were writing it, and I kind of did, I didn't do a final edit, but I did a read-through before I said, you know, go ahead and submit. You know, I've been working in this field for a while. There was, on those indicators that we didn't meet, Yeah, there was this, oh, man, how can, how can we make that sound better? You know? Totally. Like I didn't want to admit. For sure. We blew it. We, for sure. we, we made the wrong decision there, and we should have hired this person instead, or we right. should have spent more money doing this. Right. And, you know, you've got this breakdown. And the reality is, though, I think and I hope the donors are feeling the same way as well, because I think there is a fear, actually, a deep-seated fear in the... Uh, nonprofit sector when it comes to certainly bilateral donors, it's almost like I'm going to just write in whatever, you know, we wrote in the first place because that's what they want to hear. Exactly. They don't want to hear that actually we could do this better next year. So please give us some more money, which might not be a bad idea because we're actually going to grow and we're going to have better, you know what I mean? And so it's like this, it's this circular nightmare. It, it, well, it's, it's a, what it is. It's a it's a cultural structure in place that forced you in that moment. It's look, it's a human behavior as well. By the way, we didn't we didn't flub the numbers. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's but a very legitimate report. Right. We're very proud of it. But at the same time, I'm just you know, it's a good indicator, I think, of how deep that goes. Absolutely. And imagine if uh, instead of having to ha- have that question go off in your head you are being encouraged to actually share all of the failure, yeah. right? The things that, that did not work, including the things that worked. Um, you know, I used to be on the, uh, uh, the Laidlaw Foundation board. Oh, okay, yeah. uh, and uh, when I was chair of it, I was arguing a lot for this exact notion that said, why, you know, we keep talking about partnering with our grantees. And I said, but the, the reality is, that's a, there's a power dynamic that you're never gonna escape. Right, because yeah, well, if, sure if, if yeah. you've got the money and the yeah. other person wants yeah. your money and they want to try to get more of it, it's exactly what you've just said. But if we flipped it and said, look, we as a foundation are trying to create this impact in the world and we know that the road to get there is going to, be, you know, is going to have all kinds of challenges and all kinds of failure, and that's actually good because we're going to learn from it. We want to be a partner with you because we believe that giving you this money with what you're trying to do will actually get us there. Then actually you set up a very different dynamic that says, Let's figure out what worked and absolutely more importantly, what didn't work, right? But that's not the way it's constructed in, in philanthropy, particularly tied to foundations and money. So this is right throughout the whole sector. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And no one wants to talk about what doesn't work. You know, I have to give kudos to Engineers Without Borders, absolutely. right? Because yeah. they yeah. have the failure report. Yeah. We actually, we, we have worked with them and we actually yeah. had an idea for them called Fund a Failure. Right. right. And I actually wrote a blog for the Huffington Post called Are You Ready to Fund a Failure? Exactly on the thing we're talking about right now, which was all about failure does not equal failure. Mm. And as a sector, we have to change that because part of this comes full circle to your question on donor fatigue. Part of it is because um, of the lack of creativity and innovation in the way in which we're engaging donors in giving. 
right? And part of it, I think, is because it's not reciprocal enough. But how can we be more innovative if we're not willing to take risks, right? If we're not willing to try things. How many nonprofits do you know or charities do you know that have an innovation budget where they're willing to try stuff and good. fail, right? Five percent. Yeah. I mean, ten percent would be amazing. Would but five percent of their total overall budget to innovation, right? We do it at public. That's, I mean, projects so is all that. That's the takeaway alone. I mean, if you're not engaged by now, then shut off your radio. But that, <laughs> that's the takeaway right there. I mean, there's tons here, but just that alone is incredibly good advice. You know, start incremental, right? Incremental. Put a little absolutely. bit of money towards it this year. See what you can do. It's a fantastic idea. It's Love it's it. it's it's good throwaway money, right? <laughs> if it hits. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. but but if we're afraid to try, if we're afraid to, to do new things, how can the sector as a whole, when we think about cause and social issues and, and social impact, more importantly, how can we how can we move the dial on our on an incremental, on not an incremental basis, but on a real lockstep change? You know, we so many times we'll go on the consulting agency side and we'll talk to a nonprofit and we work with many of them and we'll say. When we're defining success around fundraising as an example, and we'll say, well, what would 10 times look like? They cannot have the conversation about what 10 times look like. They, they just won't have it. It's not possible. Well, you know, we'll say, what do you mean it's not possible? Right, it's right. not possible to think what 10 times our revenue would look like. And our first question always is, why not? Mm -hmm. We're not suggesting you're going to get there tomorrow, but, but isn't the goal to create greater social impact? Mm -hmm. And aren't you saying you need more money to do that? So why aren't we thinking about that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think this. Is, I think it's part. You know, there's all kinds of things swirling around that that contribute to this. The composition of boards. You know, the so-called we're going to bring business acumen to the boards, and yet those people who come from the business sector who sit on boards, they actually don't behave the way they would in their day-to-day -day job, and they take a complete risk-averse approach and a very, very conservative approach, and it does a disservice. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm being a bit categorical. Yeah, no, to make these points. Yeah, yeah. But there's all kinds of things swirling. And so, you know, you asked about being a social change agent. What we're trying to do at public at the end of the day is really disrupt the whole model of giving and good and say we've got to move to a new model. So what if we don't disrupt it? What if, the, what if your experiment here, it's more than an experiment, doesn't work ultimately yeah. in 20 or 30 or 40 years? Are we in deep trouble? Um, as, as, a, as, a, as globally, are we in No, because something else will emerge. But you know what? I'm actually not worried about that because it is working. Because you know what? Look at what's happening in the world today. I mean, look at across the board. You know, there's all kinds of interesting disruptions. Crowdfunding, in my mind, is an incredible disruption that is... Um, that weren't, I'm, I'm blown away by some of the things that happen in crowdfunding daily. You know, you look at what's happening on a crowdsourced version of that with groups like Avaz on the advocacy front. They're changing the game on advocacy. Right? The change in the relationship people have on it. Um, and maybe I'm overstating it. But then you look at all kinds of things that people are doing around the integration of profit and purpose. The, the rise of social enterprise. You know, I forget the name of the company or the organization that has this ball that you can play with and it generates energy, right? That can then um, you know, uh, light up lamps, right? right? right. I mean, there's, there's so many. And then I look at what like a Procter & Gamble is doing around water now. Mm -hmm. And of course, what Unilever has done globally. I mean, we're moving in this direction, mm -hmm. right? Um, you've got guys like Richard Branson, who I think are incredible. He's still talking more about philanthropy, I would say. Right. But yep. even then, he's doing social enterprise. So I'm not, it's a great question. I'm not worried about it because I think there's just so many uh, indicators out there of people doing incredible things. Yeah, I, the world is moving in that direction. I think you're right. Um, I sometimes, though, do despair a little bit when 
you know, it kind of goes back to that comment, that crack I made earlier about what do you mean you can't afford a buck when you just spent 50 bucks on a transformer? Yeah. You know, I mean, isn't there, that there's this huge gap there. And I, I struggle with this idea of self-interest because ultimately I suppose we could redact or reduce every act to some sort of selfish or self-interested act. Well, it's about my family or it's about my job sure. or whatever the case might be. But what about the concern for the other? Mm-hmm. You know, where is the concern for the other, you know, embedded in this idea of cause, uh, cause marketing or social change or right. profit and purpose or cause yeah, and commerce. Exactly. It's, it's Excellent. about the triple bottom line. It, no, hang on. It's about doing the right thing. Right. You know? So it's a great question. And, and I should have actually posed this as a bit of a caveat up, uh, off the top, which is, you know, at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is engage more people in giving and doing good. Right. Um, the name of the company is called Public for a reason, which is we're trying to engage large swaths of people and and make better citizens, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're highly civically engaged, um, the drivers for you in terms of the reciprocity um, are different. But I think what happens today is, and it and it's, it's bears out when you look at Imagine Canada and its data on their you know on their whole giving and volunteering survey, where on the giving side it's a, it's the twenty percent that give eighty percent, right? So what we're really talking about is how do you get people that aren't that civically engaged in the tent? How do you broaden the base? Which, because ultimately, if we're talking about better citizenship, we're talking about people contributing well, think, to community, and right? I think, I, absolutely. And I think you're talking about how do you get people to care absolutely. outside of their own backyard right. or out of their own circle of influence. Right. What we do today in the philanthropic charity model is we presume you should care because you just should. Right. And what we're saying in public is that doesn't cut it for more than 20% of the population. Right. So if we're interested yeah. in trying to grow the pie, we cannot say you should care just because. It's like if you tell your kids ask you a question and you give them the answer because, it's not good enough. So what we're saying is we need to be able to start to say you should give, right, because there's something in it for you. And what's in it for you doesn't always mean uh, a discount. Right. Or money in your pocket. Right. I mean, pro- we're talking or, about profit. Or an iPhone in the, five. Right. <laughs> we're talking about profit in the broadest sense of the word. Yeah. But it is reciprocity, and and when I strongly believe that the best relationships in life, the best transactions, are about reciprocity. So I always joke. I say, you know, you know, when when and this is changing. But when nonprofits go and they approach corporate, right? Um, they generally do. Um, the same thing, which is they go and they say, we've got this great initiative and you should get behind it and it's going to make you look like a great corporate citizen and your employees are going to love it, right? And those things may or may not be true. But if you really think about it, they're thinking, sitting there going, but wait a minute, I've got to drive my bottom line. I've got all these different deliverables on my plate. How is that going to solve it, right? And I say back to the nonprofit, if you can't demonstrate reciprocal value, why would they do it? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I say, and then I explain, show me a relationship where it's all one way. Right? If I said, David, I call you up weekly and all I do is I ask for things. Right? Right. And I'm never thinking about how I can give back to you. I'm never thinking about what the reciprocal relationship is like. Well, how, long, how strong a relationship is that going to be? Yes. Right? And so what we're really talking about here in Profit and Purpose is about reciprocity. And that doesn't, and the exchange of value, and the exchange of value doesn't, is not only about money, but that, in my mind, is how you play to human behavior, and, that, and when you play to human behavior, that's how you can scale and create social impact. like you're also trying to redefine, uh, redefine value itself in, in a way, because I think too often, like you say, when we talk about this reciprocity and self-interest, it's, it's, it's quantified in a 
financially tangible way. Mm -hmm. I get a free admission to a, this. I get free popcorn. I buy Cheerios because I get access to Cineplex Odeon theaters. Right. And, you know, and there's always some kind of financial benefit. But I think, you know, at the risk of sounding a little trite, Mother Teresa tried, I think, to change the way poverty was looked at. It's social poverty. Mm -hmm. It's emotional poverty. It's spiritual yeah. poverty. It's not just a financial distinction. Right. And one of the things I've been struggling with is I want to start talking about not, not about poverty anymore. I want to talk about folks that are that are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about people that are at risk because I believe you and I both have been vulnerable and at risk at some point in For our sure. life. Maybe not financially. Yeah. Maybe we both come from incredibly privileged backgrounds, but often the case is, 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 is when it comes to things like social and human capital and so on, we, we, we might ultimately be bankrupt. So right. how, do we, you know, how do we start changing the way people think about that? I mean, I think we've answered that question today, yeah. frankly. But, no, but, it, but I, think that's, I think that's what you guys are trying to do here, which is huge. Absolutely. Huge and it is. And, and uh, look, uh, proud of what we've done to date. Lots of failure yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. And you know, in we're very activation focused. So we're not about creating awareness. We're about getting people to take action. Right. And fundamental to that is asking the question: If I'm trying to get this audience to do something that has a net social impact, right? We ask, you know, we ask all kinds of questions. But there are two really important ones. One, what's in it for me? Me being that audience. And two, why would I? And it's related. But why would I do it? Right. And to your point, it's not just about getting a chance of winning the iPod or you know, getting tickets to X. That's a piece of it. But you know, the answer is because actually it makes me laugh and I want to share that, right? right, right or it right. plays to my strong sense of social justice. So some of the time we answer the question, why would I do it? Because we believe against that audience. It actually plays right core to their values. And it's about actually allowing them to express those values right, in a way where they can be recognized. So don't underestimate the power of recognition as well. So we're trying to think about it across yeah, the board, yeah, yeah. right? And, but we really have to move to that, you know, that differentiating model. And the current model, you know, last thing I'll say about it is, is that we get stuck in the charity and, and, and sort of a philanthropy model. We get stuck on things like ratios. Right? So we say, well, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm giving to a charity that it's 90-10, oh right? Or 85-15 or 80-20. Right. As, as if doing good shouldn't cost money. Right. So How we, absurd is that? It's completely absurd. And it totally misses the point, which is if you care about social impact, right, your ratio is not important. Right? I mean, if 40 cents on the dollar is going to do the thing and 60, right? I mean, there, there is appropriate levels. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But when you think about social impact versus philanthropy and you're thinking about what's going to change in the world, why do you care? Let's take two, let's take the gross extremes. Uh, take a charity that has a 60-40 split. So 60 to mission, 40 to overhead. And then take a charity that has 90% to, uh, to mission and 10% to overhead. But if the charity is at 60-40 is having huge impact in the world and the other one is having mediocre, which one do you want to give to? Mm -hmm. I know where I want to give. Yeah, well, you got to be talking about efficacy at that point, right? This is it. I think, well, it's absolutely. It's, it's as if philanthropy is a stepping stone to social impact, right? That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. It's just one piece of the puzzle. It's not, it's not the end. That right. It's the, yeah. No, it's and where there's a hangover. So that's, yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've had a really interesting conversation, but we are just... We're playing in so many different ways to really challenge the way we think about doing good and giving, yeah. right? And we are trying to disrupt it and thinking about it in a very, very, uh, I think, different way um, that is driven by human behavior. That, and, and it really, you know, our belief is that if, we, if 
us and many, many, many more people like us continue to push this, I think we're going to see a complete evolution in the way. Agreed. There's reasons to be hopeful. Right off of their website, quote, we need to unlock the power of good inside everyday actions and behaviors in our daily purchases and routines so it actually becomes extraordinary not to make it part of everything we do, close quote. That's public. That's Phil Hay join, uh, uh, joining us. Philip. Feels good. For, for family members. All <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, publicinc.com, P-U-B-L-I-C. Uh, I almost added a K, INC.com. Anything in one last word you want to say about what's next for you guys? Like, you got to, you know, we've got this, uh, um, the reversal of the app. Oh, yeah, the reversal. Coming, so yeah. we should be looking for that. Yeah, we have, uh, you know what? I, I no, we have check all kinds. Website. Check it out. We have all kinds of, and check us out through social. We have all kinds of campaigns coming. A really interesting, you know, I'll highlight one. We have a really interesting campaign coming out with the Anglican Church of Canada wow. tied to their work on food security internationally that I'm very excited about and proud about we're doing but we're doing all kinds of stuff cool check it out publicinc.com thanks so much phil for joining us thank you i appreciate it